0: Today, we'd like to welcome our special guests, Maureen Pelton and Charlie Hartwell, a wife and husband combo. Maureen has a master's degree and is a psychotherapist, a teacher, and works in the health and wellness field. Charlie is a graduate of Harvard Business School and has worked in many different industries with an interest in mental health and global movements. They are both very well-accomplished and amazing individuals, and it is our pleasure to welcome them to the Look Again podcast, so thank you for coming and speaking with us today.
1: Thank you for having us.
0: Agree. So I guess the first question to start off is, how did the relationship between you two and the Holistic Life Foundation begin? Because this is the whole reason why we are here and speaking, and I know the guys are really fans of you, and... We just want to let our listeners know, like, how did that relationship begin?
2: I think I first met you guys at a Wisdom 2.0 event, probably sitting in in the halls, the three of you, and we started a conversation and sort of instantly felt a resonance and a love. And then such a fun conversation. Some point after that, I said, Maureen, you got to meet these guys. I don't know if that was in person or online, but then Maureen met them and, you know, we've just been great friend since then.
1: Well, I think really what happened was he came home from Wisdom 2.0 and said, I met these great guys. You have to meet them. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I remember.
0: (laughs) What did you find great about them and their message?
2: Well, what I loved was the love that emanates from them, the intention of their work. Like at a Wisdom 2.0 event, you can get pretty serious about like wisdom traditions. And like these guys weren't but they were, they were serious about it, but it was like about fun and being real and being authentic. And to me, that was just like, these are the kind of people that I love to hang out with. Yeah. Refreshing.
3: We love the fact that Ali's younger brother was so much cooler than his older brother. I think that's the thing that drew you to us. I think. Well, better looking
2: too.
4: Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I don't even know how to follow up with that. Thanks for being a realist, Charlie. (laughs) <laughs> I, all I can say is that I remember I, Charlie. I definitely remember meeting you. It was two I remember you were really, really busy. I feel like you were running around from meeting to meeting to meeting. We got to see like you in business mode. I think we really got to know you in DC. And Maureen, you were there too, right? Like we, I, that was. I feel like that was when we got to know yeah. and see yeah. you two, like in your real, like and get deep down into some stories and see who you all really were. Because like we always thought you were cool, Charlie. But then like once we like started, it started like. It wasn't the business mode. Maureen was around. And you kind of like just kind of chilled out. And you could actually talk to us about what you were really into. we were like, "Holy shit, man! Charlie's really, really cool." Yeah, <laughs> uh,
2: you have a better memory than me, but I I hear you. Yeah.
5: The real question is why we're all of us in the hallway and not at one of the breakout sessions, guys. That's I don't the real you guys question. Never went to that <laughs> unless
4: you were speaking. You guys were always in the hall, right? <laughs> I remember someone told us that we should stop hanging in the halls and go to all the breakout sessions. And I feel like we talked to you about that. And you were like, no, that's where you guys do all your, all your networking. Like stay in the hall. Like that's where you guys stand out. Like stay like whatever you guys are doing, keep doing it. Don't sit in on those sessions. So yeah. Yeah. I remember that. I
1: yeah. had it even better. I didn't go at all during the day. I just went to the dinners at night.
4: <laughs> <laughs> that's <an> even better <laughs> schedule.
1: People.
4: I guess the question would be, so like, you all have helped us out a lot in a lot of different ways and given us a lot of time and a lot of energy. So what made you all want to help us and what makes you all want to help other organizations?
1: Well, I'll I'll start by just saying I really wanted to help you guys because I'm really about unconditional love and embodiment and you guys embody unconditional love. Like I, I know there's a lot of really well-intended and really devoted and committed people out there. But you were on just another level of radiating, transmitting, being what so many people are striving to get to. And the fact that you working with kids was really important to me. You know, we really starting young and empowering them and giving them tools so that they don't just get sucked into the conditioning process that happens when we're in human form.
2: Yeah, and for me, I mean, I resonate with a lot of what Maureen said when I saw what you were doing and heard what you were doing and experienced that unconditional love that Maureen is talking about and the joy with which you live and the, the joy of the relationship that the three of you had. You know, it's my natural tendency to sort of say, okay, so what's your mission and how can I, you know, how can I help with the gifts that I have to amplify that or to provide any insights or strategic value that i might have to help you achieve what it is that you're looking to do and how do we how do we scale unconditional love i mean it's already there but how do we uncover it and bring that more
4: to the world so that's kind of i love doing that one thing you've definitely helped us do Charlie, is scale i know we used to always talk about traveling and going places and going to do work and you were like no stay in baltimore get people to come see you and one thing that that i still say to this day I don't even know if you you remember you, you you said to me was that the best solutions are homegrown. Do you remember saying that? I sort of remember that conversation that we. I remember where we were and the, this deep conversation we had about this. Yeah. To all listeners, like we HLF started a satellite program where we're actually setting up shop in other locations, and a lot of the ideas for that came from that conversation with Charlie.
3: That's yeah. Cool. Ali always says that. Like whenever we go and speak anywhere, you know, people always are like, dang, you guys save a lot of people. And we always say, nah, we teach people how to save themselves. And the best way to do that is homegrown solutions. And honestly, we thank you, Charlie, for planting that seed in Ollie's head.
2: <laughs>
5: he he always says that right after he talks about how much better of a brother Otman is.
3: <laughs> and honestly, to be able to plant a seed in that big head and that, have that come to fruition, <laughs> you must have been a big
4: impact. So thank you,
3: Charlie.
2: Yeah. It's a big garden, right? (laughs) I just
4: want all of our listeners to know that I have a picture of Otman with a bald head that I'm going to email out to um, everyone that signs up. So (laughs) it's coming, y'all. You know, three
5: of us know how we met and our viewers know how we met now, but they don't know how the two of you met. So how did the two of you meet?
1: Through our kids. I have a daughter who Charlie has adopted and he has two children and they were at a small Montessori school. And our, my daughter was in class with his son the first year and then in class with his daughter the second year. And they loved each other. They, so it was beautiful. And so the small community and there was a social community for the parents is how we um, originally met.
0: It doesn't seem like normally that's how people meet is through their children liking each other. So that's how you guys met, but you
4: guys are like, when people see you, it's the evident, like, it's really evidently clear how much you all love each other and how much you all are connected. Like, how did that happen?
1: I think that's greater than the two of us. <laughs> I, I think when, when there was just such a connection and, you know, we feel like we've known each other for lifetimes. So I just feel blessed that we came into each other's lives with our hearts open enough to remember each other and see each other. It's hard to even put into words.
2: Yeah, I remember, you know, that the moment when we actually looked at each other with that that love and actually looked at each other in the eyes and it was like this, hello again, you know, it was like looking deep into like, hi, I've known you for millions of years. Good to see you again. <laughs> I love you, sort of, That it was weird can't and there's nothing to describe that but you know then there was just the the whole other element about shared interests that we had in this life and 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 then how much fun we had together like we we just we had such resonance and such a sort of spiritual connection combined with just like having a lot of fun together.
1: Yes. I mean, when he came into my life, I was setting a very clear intention and wanting to manifest a partner. I had been divorced for several years and I wanted someone who I could play with. And boy, did that happen.
0: (laughs) (laughs) You're like, there you are.
5: It was so cute. I want our listeners to know that when Ali asked that question, the two of them looked at each other and their smiles were so big. It was the (laughs) cutest thing in the world. Goodness gracious. Mm -hmm.
3: You know, you all are successful in like a multifaceted way, uh, like Vidal Sassoon. (laughs) How, like you all have used your success, in my opinion, to help a lot of other people out. Ali said scale their programs and, you know, increase their impact of what they do. But how would you all label the type of work that you all do and uh, what's your focus on?
1: So for me, my focus is on human flourishing and I consider us to be spiritual or energetic beings in physical form having a human experience. And so I'm passionate about holding space and providing support for that human experience of you know, embodying that energy and using our gifts and our unconditional love to flourish. In this world. And I do that on a number of levels. And partnering with Charlie, we've been able to hold space together and work on a number of levels, which you can talk about.
2: Yeah. But one thing that I do that we do to actually do together is through a, this investment group called the Bridge Builders Collaborative. We invest in early stage companies in the space of sort of consciousness, spirituality, mental well being. And One of the fun things about that is to be able to help entrepreneurs to take their vision and provide them with, you know, the capital, the connections, the, you know, sort of a joint experience of our 10 partners and to be able to collaborate to to really enable them to take their enterprises and create a, you know, sort of a global movement to a more conscious, more aware, awake population. I'm, I'm gonna go back, you know, to the way that Maureen and I work together. I call her the wisdom of the family. Like she operates, she's extremely grounded, but she operates multidimensionally and she brings the incredible questions and this great wisdom. And if I'm smart enough, I listen to that. And so she's kind of up, you know, flying like an eagle, you know, up in the air. And then I'm sort of the third dimensional, the method, bringing things into the third dimension and how the third dimensional distribution systems work. So how do we get these messages out to the world in the third dimension? So it's, it's a really cool partnership. An eagle or or a dragon.
1: Yeah. Dragon. (laughs) (laughs) Same thing. (laughs) Yeah. And
0: I feel the flames when they come out sometimes. (laughs) There seems to be like this awesome collaboration between you two and there also seems to be a narrative of interest in health, wellness, and consciousness. So, like, where do you think the interest of the human consciousness and the well being came from? And with the intention to, you know, invest and study and promote these different parts? Like, because we come across a lot of people who, like, HLF, they started an organization. Or, you know, we come across people who like start apps or whatever, but you guys are like actually investing. You you are interested in studying consciousness. You're interested in the well-being and like helping other conscious companies. So where did the interests of helping other conscious companies come from?
1: So as a social scientist, I spent a lot of years. I was in the corporate world. I was at in academia teaching. I was in the healthcare systems trying to shift healthcare into integrative health. and. What I kept coming up against, and, and as Charlie would say, I'm addicted to learning, so I'm constantly learning and new modalities and new approaches. And what I came up against was there was so much information and even scientific evidence of contemplative practices, but also compassion and kindness, really encouraging and supporting human flourishing. So. I kept thinking there has to be some kind, this was years ago, some kind of application to get it out there. And even some of my clients and students would say, I wish there was an app. And so when I got involved with Mind and Life, which is the organization with His Holiness the Dalai Lama and Richie Davidson.
0: Yeah, Richie.
1: Yeah. And I went to the University of Wisconsin. So when we when I got involved with that, I saw there was enough science and I kept saying to Charlie, who was working as a CEO of an ideation company, there's gotta be something. And when he was done with that position, I introduced him to mind and life and you can take it from there.
2: Yeah, that's where I'm at. These partners that were asking the question as a science behind contemplative practice gotten to the point where there'd be anything to invest in so that we could help bring it to scale. And that was nine years ago. I'm not gonna say no one, but very few people really knew what mindfulness was. And there were really no companies at the time, or there are very few companies focused on this in the space. And we're sitting here 10 years, nine years later, you know, and on platforms that we've invested in, there are a hundred million people meditating that weren't meditating before. So, you know, what drives me, I love innovation and change and transformation. I'm passionate about co-creating global m- movements with other people. And as Marine said, she introduced me to this space and it was kind of like, well, here's the latest global movement that I can, I can help support and, you know, help to co-create.
0: Yeah. I love that idea too. Cause you're thinking about there's enough science. We have what we need. So it's like the now what aspect of it and, you know, labeling it human flourishing so we can all come together and Charlie, your idea of like reaching globally and scaling it, you know, it seems like you have such a big vision and you're like able to produce. It's really amazing to like hear how this unfolds. Yeah, it's, it's
2: awesome. I mean, I actually did the calculation of like, yeah, I think there's hundred million people meditating and now, and we've launched things like digital therapeutics. So drugs as a software, either, you know, an enhancement to a drug or a replacement to a drug. And you know we've, we've been pioneering investors in several different fields related to you know contemplative practice and consciousness. And the fun thing about that is that a couple of years ago, Maureen and you know asked this question, which she asked these great questions about like, okay, so you've invested in the gateway drugs to higher levels of consciousness. Now what's next? And you know, it's time to go deeper. And we looked that that, that sort of set off a spark in our organization to like say, okay, what is it that we're going to invest in going forward? Because we want to support the transformation of humanity, the waking up of humanity, the, you know, better mental health, et cetera. And, you know, it was time to look deeper than, uh, than we had been. So, you know, that's what we're working on
4: now. All right. So I remember uh, back to the, the visit in DC, where we saw you all at the conference in DC. I remember, uh, you, you all mentioned, um, uplifting consciousness. Uh, y'all remember that one? you all, I feel like that was uh, kind of, but I you all talk about like every time we
2: talk, yeah. we're talking about that.
4: Like, but yeah. I remember you, but, but specifically, I remember for the first, I feel like that, that was the first time I heard you specifically say it, it was like, you were. I mean, I remember it kind of took me and Ottman and Andy back because we were like, wow, okay. Like maybe we need to, uh, it's just we were getting to know you and you mentioned that it was kind of like, okay, all right. Well, what, what else is going on? So, as like your consciousness has shifted and your desire to uplift consciousness has grown, how has that shifted the way that you help businesses and the type of businesses that you do help? Wow, that's a really good question.
1: First of all, you know, in, in meeting with entrepreneurs and startups, Charlie more so than I, but just vetting them and really being more skeptical and really listening to are they committed to going deeper? Are they committed to raising their own consciousness and the organization's consciousness? So it's bigger than just trying to bring, you know, scientifically valid, scalable applications to the masses. It's also, how are these organizations running? And are these leaders in these organizations and coaching them. I think that's part of what's shifted.
2: I think that shifted. Yeah. Yeah. A lot, a lot more questions for entrepreneurs about what work have you done? And a lot more realization that the energy level that they were going to be, that they were at, was actually going to be transmitted through whatever they were developing. And so, yeah, I think at the beginning we were just looking for people with concepts and now we're looking for people that have really done their own work, but also can build their own business.
1: And and I would say what part of what happened in that process is there's been founder changes in some of our companies.
0: I heard you say something about like organizational consciousness, you know, because we can talk about the person being conscious and then they have like a a staff behind them, but- what is the organization's, the collective consciousness of the the organization or the company? And I really like hearing that from you because it's not just the personal aspect, but you do look at the personal aspect, but you also have like a different tier of seeing what works with what you want to invest and work with. And I really like hearing that because I think that's super important, especially nowadays, because it's easy to like slap a label on something and be like, it's conscious, contemplative, you know, one-on-one. And then it's like, eh, is it really? That's such a good
2: point, especially early on in this field, you know, you'd have someone that went to a meditation retreat for a weekend and they live in Silicon Valley and they're like, they know how to scale things with technology and, you know, they'd go to these things and say, my life's changed and now I have to change the world. And you know, that, that became the scariest entrepreneur. <laughs> Because, because you, you know, if they don't actually do their own work, then what they're building is actually going to transmit. And, you know, the integration of all of this is is really important before
3: developing an organization around it.
0: Yeah, it can be reckless in some sense.
3: Yeah. One thing Ali always says, he quotes Linda Lanantieri when uh, she always says, like, you know, like you all just said, a lot of people go out there, go to a weekend retreat and think that they have seen um, nirvana or or been to nirvana but she always says you have to do the work before you do the work you know what i mean and that resonates with us so much and that's why we tell our teachers that a personal practice you have to have that before you can become a great teacher
0: i'm like thinking to myself i wonder what it is that makes people think that because they had like a a brief moment of clarity within themselves that they think they are clear and they want to like share it with outside and it's like the whole work is within and then it happens without. And I think like people start out and then they realize the inner, it's like an opposite direction.
1: Yeah. And in my experience, cause I, I taught quite a bit for many years in my experience, there was this combination of the student would have this experience and then they just want, they're so excited. They just wanted to share it with everyone. But the other thing I saw happening was they'd have this experience and Going out and trying to convince others was a way of not going deeper. It was a way, you know, it was a distraction to the call that was really there to even to go deeper. So it was a way to not go deeper and think you were going deeper. So it's one of the reasons, actually, this challenge I had with students, one of the reasons I really kind of stopped teaching. One. Yeah.
0: Do you miss teaching?
1: Well, I'm now doing some teaching on Inside Timer and I really enjoy that.
5: So, you know, just continuing on the topic of human consciousness and I mean, you all have been involved in this area for a long, long time. So you've seen this shift. It's continuing to shift more and more. And, uh, and you already mentioned some improvements that you might want, like making sure that when people are getting into the practice, that they have a practice, right? You know, one part is you're seeing people are, oh, okay, so it's great that these people are going to the silent retreat, but it's not so great that that's all they did. And now they're trying to spread that knowledge, right? So I could see that being an improvement that you, y'all y'all would probably like as the shift is occurring. Are there any other improvements that you would like or outcomes that maybe you would like to see as we continue to shift in human consciousness? And I guess it's kind of a 2 part question. So if there are any other improvements, that you're like, hey, while this is going on, maybe we need to focus on this. Maybe we need to focus on that. But also what are some of it, achievements that you're proud of that you've been a part of during this shift in human consciousness?
1: So I think I'll start by saying there's two things that I've seen. So I've been at this for 35 years and in the beginning I was awed, right? (laughs) And what the two shifts I've seen is that subtle energy and biofield science is becoming more acceptable. There's more scientific evidence to validate it. And so we are starting to really move into this place like, oh, we are energy. Like I said, we're energetic beings in physical form. So I'm so grateful for that. There's been a huge shift there. I think that's really important. And the second big shift I've seen is there's more awareness and more conversation. I feel like it's still pretty intellectual and transactional, but that's where we always start, right? With We don't know what we don't know. So I feel like more people are open to just even having conversations around consciousness and awareness. And okay, there's a third thing. And the other big thing, and I've talked to you guys about this before, is trauma. We're starting to really understand trauma, trauma trauma-informed reactions that a lot of us have unconscious or suppressed trauma that there's even the epigenetics of trauma. And we're starting to understand that what Carl Jung said, what the mind can't handle, the body absorbs, and there's a lot in there. And we need to heal and transcend and transform that. And it's not just about managing the unacceptable. It's really about shifting it. And I see that happening, not on the global scale I'd like, but I do see it happening.
2: Yeah, I see what I see happening sort of, you know, down to the, that third dimensional level. A good example for me was this conversation I had with an executive at a major insurance company. And we're talking about how to bring psychedelics in to actually expand consciousness. And I thought, my God, I'm on a different planet. I'm talking to like the largest insurance company in the world is actually thinking not about bringing it in as a, you know, as a, I mean, at the end of the day, they'd make more money from it. But it's like, how do we shift consciousness? Uh, that was like a blow away moment for me. And it was from, from someone that was very heart centered. Um, so this wasn't coming from their head. But what I see happening, it, to Maureen's point about sort of this getting into the head, when we first met, you know, we were just starting to see these applications be thought about and tested in companies. Now there's not a company that's not thinking about it, you know, bringing in a program, integrating it. And, you know, now we're seeing the healthcare system talk about it. We're seeing the insurance companies talking about it. It's now becoming ubiquitous. So this whole question of where do we go from here, this deeper point, that's the shift that we want to see because, you know, almost every Fortune 500 company now has a mindfulness program that you can access. I'd like to hear more people who are talking about like, Hey, I really had this deep awakening experience. Hey, I'm living my life differently. That, you know, I've dealt with a trauma from my childhood. That's the kind of things that I'd like to I'd like to support in the future.
0: Yeah. Research, investing, all that. We need to change the legislation before we can really do the work that we might need to do on a social community level. And Maureen, something that you said sparked my interest was what the mind can't handle, the body does. But a lot of the trauma, childhood trauma, the undeveloped mind during the childhood, that's probably why we have so much childhood trauma not so much like adult life, mature trauma, because the, the child's mind is so undeveloped that the body takes it on even more. And we even had Bessel van der Kolk talk about the body keeps score. So our body keeps a lot of trauma in. So he's a big fan of movement practice, releasing. So I really resonated with the things that you two were saying. One of the
3: dopest things that Ali, Andy and I have been blessed with is like, you know, actually being around you all and seeing your relationship. And, you know, America and, you know, I guess worldwide, a lot of people fall in love and, you know, a fall is a fall is a fall is a fall but it seems like you all are rising in love. And you know, y'all have like, y'all relationship is yoga. Y'all are uniting with yourselves and that higher being, in my opinion. Within the specific fields uh, you work in, you each work in, how do you see your relationship with each other facilitating a greater achievement together? Wow.
1: Well, so, okay.
3: No, you go ahead.
1: What I, was gonna say, what I say to a lot of people is, Charlie's my rock. So I am quite expansive and I am, I am pretty grounded, but I need that touchstone. And he his unconditional love and his support, and he so believes in me and my gifts and the work I do in the world. He's a champion for me, much like he is for you guys. <laughs> and that really has been very grounding for me. And, you know, we kind of talk about a relationship is like flying a plane. Sometimes he's the pilot and I'm the co-pilot and sometimes I'm the pilot and he's the co-pilot and being able to do that dance. Um, and Charlie is one of the most amazing men in my experience of really honoring me as a woman and deferring to me and not, not being uncomfortable with that. Um, so he lets me pilot quite a bit and doesn't feel less than I guess. So I'm really grateful for that support.
2: First of all, Atman, I was tearing up when you were saying, you know, it's so true. We're not falling in love. We're rising in love. For some reason, I've never heard that in relation. And it just really resonates. And I'm in, you know, deep appreciation for for Maureen because she has this unconditional love and this wisdom that adds so much, not only in our relationship, but for our kids. Like she's the most incredible mother that I've ever seen because she's so present to our kids. And they are, you know, they. I, I see them flourishing so much because of that unconditional love and support and the questions that she has. And I also appreciate, you know, I never really understood that unconditional love can mean like kicking my, you know, she kicks my ass. Um, <laughs> Because she loves me, she kicks my ass. So when I'm when I'm not being authentic, or when I'm not, she just calls it out immediately. Call it the paw coming out. It's like the panther paw, you know. She, and like that is such an interesting and new experience for for me. And then just the support and belief that she has. I think, especially early on in my relationship, sometimes I think she believed in me more than I believed in myself.
1: Well, can I just say something about the paw? So what happens is I see Charlie and he's off, he's off. And I say, what's going on? And he's like, oh, I just had a call and this da da da. And I'm like, oh, did you think about this? And he's like, oh God, you're right. I have to go back and talk to them about that. (laughs) Um, And so it's more of inviting him Sometimes and the kids and some of our companies. I, I do some coaching with the companies, but just inviting them to go a little deeper. But I understand why they think it's a paw. <laughs> <laughs> That's
0: unconditional love. If someone could could love you enough to say something that isn't always fun to say but yet they're holding your heart in their hand while they're saying it. Like, that's powerful. And I don't think a lot of us are used to hearing that sort of stuff. And as I'm listening to how much unconditional love is going on, I'm thinking to myself, damn, like, do we need therapy when when we are taught to unconditionally hold space for others? Probably not. Like, our therapy world would be a bit different in – the way we go about it, the way we see each other, the way we see our families and dynamics. And it's just really, it's just so healthy. I like, Oh, it's kind of gives me all gooey, you know?
1: Well, <laughs> you, you had mentioned, you thought, you know, there needs to be policy change and legislation change. And I just think the entire mental health system needs to be changed. <laughs> and really having been in it for so long.
0: Say more. What do you mean?
1: I agree with you. And I I think, you know, a couple of our investment partners see that too. It's like this whole system needs a change. It would be a lot to to change it, but I will have hope it can change. Yeah. That's like another podcast in its own. Yeah. Yeah. it is. (laughs) Yeah. Okay.
0: So, you know, we're kind of like talking about your relationship and the work you do together. Is there any like specific story or moment during the uniqueness of sharing each other's, like, values and power that prevailed something rare with your work?
1: Hmm. That's a really good question.
0: I'm kind of curious if there's any like specific moment or story with the dynamic between you two of one being like a business person and then one being a mental mind, health and healing person. Is there any uniqueness of working together that has created something very rare that you haven't seen in the space that you're working in? Oh,
1: that's a really good question. And and I feel like there's yes but i'm trying to think of a good example and i can't right now <laughs> well, i think it's
2: sort of i think it sort of happens all like it's kind of like always happening because the way we work together like i might bring something you know i might bring a, a conversation that i had to marine and she'll look at it from an energetic she'll look at a company from sort of an energetic point of view which is I'm looking at it from a organizational point of view. And so all of a sudden there's this magic that happens because of the questions that come from that. And then all of a sudden she'll say, Charlie, the company hasn't thought of that, or have you thought of this or whatever? And because she's seeing it from a different level that not even like the CEO of the company can see it at all of a sudden there's an opening and a possibility to create something that no one's actually thought of yet. And, So I kind of think, if I I understand the question, I think this is part of just the magic of how we work together.
0: Awesome. Yeah, it might have been a little unfair to like give me a moment or a story when it seems as though the magic is constantly happening because you have such a different aspect of where you start from, but yet you have each other to like bridge the gaps of things you might uh, not see or overlook.
1: Mm Mm-hmm.
5: As as we talk, I don't know why this picture has just formed in my head, right? Because of the way you all are describing each other so much. I need to find an artist who can paint a picture where it's gonna be Maureen flying as a dragon, right? On the top, and then Charlie standing on this rock as this this warrior, you know, like he's our any like maybe a sword. I don't know if you do a sword sounds right, Charlie, or something like that. Maybe like look like an old school like heavy metal picture. That I has, like, think a man. was thinking
2: guitar as
5: opposed to a star. oh a guitar. Uh, there you go. His that axe. Would be, that's
0: awesome. <laughs> I don't know
4: why I see that right now. It's hilarious. All right, so speaking speaking of dragons, so we always come to you all with these wild, crazy like um, UFO, Bigfoot, interdimensional <laughs> stories. You know, because we, we can relate on that level. What do you guys think? closes off a lot of people to experiencing things like that? And what do you think opens people up to stuff like that?
1: Oh, I think the closing off is really the ego and the intellect wanting to make sense of things and put meaning on things. And so to kind of go outside that context is really challenging. And, it, you know, for to have those experiences, it really is about open heartedness. My course used to be called Heart Sight (laughs) because it was about opening the heart to be able to experience and, you know, be curious and and be in uh, curious inquiry and neutrality and not have to get attached to it or make sense of it or see it as, you know, right or wrong. So I think it's just that head trip we're on with our egos and our intellects really when I was teaching people would say they would have these interesting experiences either as kids or adults, but they didn't have any context to put it in so they shut it down or they told someone and the the person told them they were crazy so they shut it down. So for me, how I I know you guys know this, but how this all started for me, although I was always a very spiritual person, at 21, I had a spontaneous mystical experience. And instead of going to law school as planned, I went to graduate school in the social sciences because I needed to find context. I knew what happened was real for me, but I really couldn't talk about it. And if I tried, people looked at me like I was crazy. So I had to, that's how, what got me into meditation and yoga um, was trying to find context for, you know, living multidimensionally and having access beyond this physical reality or this third dimension.
5: I'm comfortable that's with that. telling our listeners what that experience was?
1: Well, yeah, it's, it's hard to put into words, which you would understand, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But basically I... I had to have back surgery and the night before the back surgery, you know, the doctor had said I might may not wake up, I may be paralyzed. You know, they have to give you all the possible options and you know, I had this experience of completely utterly surrendering. I was already a spiritual person, so I would surrender to the divine because what I knew was the only power I had was the choice to have the surgery. That's it. I could choose to have it or not. And beyond that, I was not in control. So I completely surrendered to the divine, as I would call it, and was willing to not wake up. You know, like, maybe this is my time to go, or maybe I'll be paralyzed. I like surrendered. I wasn't attached to my body anymore. I just completely let go. And the minute I did that, I dissolved into what I now know is the oneness. And I had this profound experience and a downloading of information. And I made a commitment to be in service to unconditional love. And when I came back, I was ecstatic joy. And when they woke me up in the morning for surgery, I was an ecstatic joy. And they were like, What is wrong with you? Are you on drugs? Like, we've never had anyone like this. And I said, No. So I had the surgery. It was miraculous. I recovered quickly. And then I went on to pursue grounding this experience. I've had many sense, but trying to grasp what happens. It, it wasn't a near-death experience. I, I, it was different, but that's really what set me on this course of human flourishing. Charlie, have you had any mystical experiences that helped you along your
0: way? Yeah,
2: very different. But yes, you know, a lot of them just in nature for me. Nature's kind of been my mystical gateway. And I can I just can I just say one thing about Marine's experiences? Sure. I've been with her a couple of times when she's gone to the hospital. Mm-hmm. When she goes under, she comes out in ecstatic joy. And she's so electrical. Like there was one time. Can we can I t- say that story? <laughs> Let us know. Yeah. She like blew the computer system.
1: I I blew, yeah. I went in for a colonoscopy and I blew the electrical system in the room. Everything went.
2: And my phone was like, you know, I don't know, a hundred yards away. My phone wasn't working.
1: And the doctor, I was cracking the doctor up and he's like, what are you doing? I mean, it was just.
2: The second time she came out, We were leaving the waiting room. And you know, there's all these people that are like, oh, you know, you can tell they're going in for a colonoscopy and they're not happy. And she's coming out and I'm kind of holding her because she's wobbling and she's laughing hysterically. And these people (laughs) are looking at us. They're like,
1: like, they're like, I want what she had.
0: (laughs) Oh
2: man. But but one of the things I just, you know, that I just want to say, because we've had these amazing, from my perspective, these amazing experiences with Ali and Atma yeah. and Andy, yeah. you know, talking about this. And one of the things is like, we have fun talking about it. Like, you know, it's not that serious when we have these conversations. And I think my natural tendency, you know, growing up would be to be like spiritual with God, the father, you know, like the lack of laughter that we have sometimes around religion prevents this amazing shit from happening. And from then, just like being able to have like this these great conversations that we have, so I, I, what's one thing I I love about our relationship with you guys is that we're able to just have those conversations and make be playful
0: about it. Spirituality is enjoying yourself, you know, like enjoying humanity, enjoying your mind, your heart, the the beings around you, and you know, also trying to understand the things you can't. It, it is playful, like fuck, if it wasn't that doesn't sound fun at all. Like, uh, uh-uh. uh, you can have it back.
3: I
5: think that's why a lot of people don't share sometimes. Cause they don't look at it in a playful manner or they've experienced something that is so confusing to them that a lot of times they're like, man, if I tell anyone this shit, they're going to think I'm fucking crazy. That type of thing, you know? But I think it's, it's great that, I completely agree with you, Charlie. Like, like our relationship with y'all has always been just we can say anything, no fear. Like, man, this happened when we were in, in these, you know, up in the mountains, and this happened, and y'all just go just like, yeah, really? Wow. Where other people might be like, what the hell are you talking about? You know, and I think that's so important for the shift of consciousness in my mind. I think it's so important for people to open up and talk about these things because I think they'll be really surprised as to when they do open up and share to someone how that person will probably be like, I had that same experience once too or I had something similar to that too. And then all of us start realizing how similar we are in that area because I think a lot of people feel like they're alone in that area and they really aren't. That all of us are, like you said, spiritual beings. And it's just a matter of discussing these topics more so that we can keep evolving to the point to where we really need to be going. You know what I mean? I just think it's so cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I want to just add that I agree with everything you said. And the other thing that's challenging is words are limiting. Like it's really hard sometimes to put the experience into words. Words don't justify, you know, what the experience is. So I think that can be really limiting and challenging.
5: I completely agree. I completely agree. Yeah.
3: You know, you all... We're talking about like the shift in consciousness, and you all are definitely being, I guess, uh, change makers uh, on a global scale in regards to that. And, you know, our teacher always used to talk to us about the changing of the yugas and/or ages and how humanity is waking up. And, you know, we're getting closer to that grand center, which makes us more godlike. And I, I just wanted to know: I know you all have a lot of uh, practices that you all do. To promote consciousness, but, you know, maybe some of our millions of listeners out there might be interested if you all have any specific practices that you do for yourselves that promote increasing or enhancing your conscious.
1: There's a lot, but I think for me, the most significant practice is breath work, breath, you know, it's, it all starts there. And there's so many different types of breath work and different ones for different things, but that's really important. For me. And also the other thing that's really important for me is the embodiment of my intentions because I really I really do, I don't understand completely why, but I'm quite a manifester. And so I have to be really thoughtful and clear in my intention setting so that I'm not drawing to me things that I, I don't want. So those two things are significant. And you know, I start my my day with breath work and my intention setting. And there are a lot of other practices I do too, but those are the most significant.
3: Most of the practices that I would use, Marine taught me anyway. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you all for uh, letting us know and letting our listeners know.
5: (laughs) All right, so I got one more question, right, guys? Okay, so we ask everyone this on our podcast, and I'm sure you know how much of Love Guys we are. So how would you define Love.
1: Ollie, Otman, and Andy. <laughs> Best answer yet. <laughs> you know, for me, that's a really good question. And what I was just saying about words are limiting and it's hard to put into words. But I think what comes to mind is spaciousness, this fifth dimensional dynamic stillness of spaciousness, where all is, all
2: is. I think a lot of people think of love as like an action. You know, the reason why Marine can say, you know, the, her answer is Ali, Atman, and Andy is because you are it. There is, there is, there's no, there's no describing that. It's just the energy yeah. of you guys. And it's your individual energy and then it's your collective energy. And so that's not, that's not what you do. Although you do act out the unconditional, at least in my experience, you're constantly acting out your love, but you're, you are love. And so you're acting it out as opposed to you're acting it out as love. If if Mm -hmm. that makes Mm -hmm. any sense. We love you so much. (laughs)
1: Thank you. Love you. (laughs) Yeah.
0: It was such a pleasure speaking with you, man. There's, there's so many more things that we wanted to ask and, I'm sure we'll want to have you back on to like yeah, go deeper sure. and just check in with you. Thank you so much for speaking with us today.
1: Thank you. Yeah, it was great y'all
5: so, so much. We can't wait to see you soon. Happy yeah. hour soon. <laughs> Happy hour soon. <laughs> All that stuff. Yeah.
3: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Thank you all for the time that you gave us and the insight that you gave to our, once again, millions and millions of listeners.
1: <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah.
0: See y'all soon. Love you. All
1: right.
0: All right. Peace. Peace. Bye. 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 Thank you for listening to Look Again Podcast. Please feel free to share this content with your friends and community. Also, please consider donating to our Patreon page. You can find us at PATREON.com and search for Look Again Podcast. Anything helps and we really appreciate your visit. Thank you so much.